remove it for me? Could you, Rana, just it's in my eye line as well? Thank you so much for that. Could I just remind you, folks, <laughs> this is kind of advance warning. Next weekend is when the clocks go forward an hour. So if you struggled to get out of bed this morning and maybe kept others late, um, you're going to have even more trouble next week when the clocks go forward. So remember, next week the clocks go forward an hour. Um, and also we're going to try a little experiment next Lord's Day. We would like, if you feel able, to bring some food with you to the meeting to have a kind of faith lunch after the meeting. Just bring something for yourself and for other folks to share, and we'll all have different things to bring, I'm sure. And if we bring it together, to, and then are free to stay after the meeting, we'll just eat together next Lord's Day and maybe spend a little time together. Um, one of the things I was thinking about was maybe using some time next Lord's Day to learn some new hymns or new tunes for hymns, because, you know, sometimes when we get them first off in the meeting, it makes life kind of difficult for us. We might sing a few things together just to try and help us learn a few bits and pieces. So that's just one of the things that I wanted to say. Uh, I also want to bring you greetings from uh, the believers in Malawi. I know you've been praying about the work of the Lord in Malawi. It was, it's a, a place of devastating poverty, folks. I mean, it's just poverty like you wouldn't believe in the country. Uh, but it is also a place of amazing gospel opportunity. And the believers who are in the country have very little physically, but they've got really a lot spiritually. And they asked me to pass on their thanks to you. We did send a gift a little earlier on for the, the cyclone relief, and the folks that received that are very grateful. I think maybe I sent some pictures of some of the houses that were rebuilding there. So I just want to say thank you. Harold and Goodson in particular, the two brothers that work tirelessly in the country, asked to be remembered especially to you with our families and I'm really, really happy to do that. I don't have time to tell you about the trip. It was a great trip, but a particularly frustrating trip. We've got a vehicle in the country that's 25 years old, an old land cruiser that just fails all the time we go and we, a lot of our travelling was restricted because of that. So I'll tell you more about it in another time. But as Andrew says, we're going to start the last chapter of the book of Romans, Romans chapter 16. So if you would like to take your Bible and turn to that, please, as we read the first 16 verses of this chapter. It's probably one of the chapters of the Bible, Andrew's already indicated that to us, that like me, you sometimes skip or you read just cursorily because it does uh, look like just a list of names that you don't know anything about. And there's lots of chapters in the Bible that are like that. In the Old Testament, there's whole chapters in the book of Numbers, for example, that, that give long lists of names of people we've never heard of before and never hear, hear of again. And in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, there's long lists of people who contributed to the, to the, the building of the walls and we never hear about them before and we never hear about them again. And the names are difficult to read and are most certainly difficult to pronounce if you ever try to read them. Out. And so often we try and we just usually just skip them and write them off as, you know, just interesting but not significant to me. And that's probably something we've all fallen into. And I was just thinking today, these folks might be unknown to us, 
but they're recorded and known by God. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think that obscurity and um, anonymity in the things of the Lord down here on earth actually is totally reversed in heaven. God takes note of every single person that does anything of any significance for him and records it and will reward it appropriately. And if you never get the plaudits and the applause of, of your fellow Christians on earth, you will certainly get the plaudits and the applause from the living God of heaven and when it boils down to it which one actually really matters isn't that important also means that nobody that does anything for the Lord is overlooked or forgotten and so you might be plugging away doing something for the Lord silently, quietly you might be helping in the fabric of the hall, you might be passing out tracts in the bus you might just be seeking to win your neighbour with good works by taking you know some food or something to somebody that's in need and, and nobody knows about it you don't want anybody to know about it you want it to be quiet and hidden and that's a really good spirit to have but you can be absolutely sure your father the lord said in the sermon in the mount your father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly and, and that doesn't mean he'll make a big fuss about you it just means that you'll be appropriately and significantly rewarded by him and that, that's what it means so so Romans 16 is one of these kind of chapters that's got a lot of names in it and we're going to read them all for, for lots of reasons because as Andrew says once you start to think about what Paul says about the names there's huge lessons to be learned and huge enjoyment and what I'm going to share with you this morning for 20 minutes is really the fruit of discussion that Stephen and Harper and I have had over the last two weeks uh, as we've waited in uh, places for the car and we've travelled long distances. We've been discussing this chapter and really, really enjoyed it. So I'm giving you some fruit of what we've discussed in the last two weeks. And the other thing I thought about was by reading the list of these people's names, we honour the memory of their faithfulness, don't we, Really? Uh, if you've never, I've been in New York, I've had the privilege of being in New York at what they call Ground Zero. That's where in 9-11 the, two, the Twin Towers came down and I've been there. And there is a couple of monuments there. And the names of everyone, more than 3,000 people who lost their lives on that 9-11 day are recorded at the, at the monument of Ground Zero. And you can go and you can just read the names. Alphabetically, you can read the names. But on the anniversary of 9-11, those 3,000 names are always read out publicly. And it takes more than four hours to read those names of the people that lost their life in 9-11. And you know why they, they do that, don't you? They, they do it publicly and patiently and repeatedly to honour the significance of that day and the memory of the people that were lost and the preciousness of those people that were lost to the family that still remain. And so we're going to read all these names with exactly the same sentiment. To remember the significance of what these people did in their life for the Lord, some of them lost their, actually lost their life for the Lord, to honour their memory and to remember that they actually are part of the same family that we are. These are our family members. We've never met them, but we one day will. And we'll meet, bump into people like Ampelias in heaven 
And we'll know who Amplius is in heaven and he'll tell us what was significant about the life that he lived for God. And Amplius will recognise you and he'll say to you, how, how, how did you get on as a Christian? You know, well, it's a family thing. So, so let's read the chapter as we begin. Verse 1. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister. And there's two ideas in this chapter. One is commendation and the other is greeting. And there's a couple of characters that get more than just one mention. They get a couple of verses and she's one of them. Which is a servant of the Lord, which is a centuria. That ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succorer of many and of myself also. So we stop and we say this. Phoebe is going to be the carrier of Paul's letter to the Romans. She's the post woman, if you like. Paul's at Corinth. Phoebe is at Centria, which is about seven miles away from Corinth. Corinth was just a little inland. It had a port about seven or eight miles away called Centria. See, I can't even get that name right, but you can see what I mean. And Phoebe didn't live at Corinth where Paul's writing the letter. She lives at Centria, seven or eight miles away at the port. And I assume, again, forgive me if you, you think this is just imagination, but I assume that what that means is that seven or eight miles away from the little company of Christians in, Chen, in Corinth, there was another little company of Christians down at Centria, and they knew each other. They knew each other. And so this lady, who's living a few miles away, is going to be travelling to Rome. And I think if you read these verses, it seems as though she had some personal business to do in Rome. And because she was going up to Rome... Paul decided to pass on the letter that he had written to her and trusted her with the responsibility of taking the letter from Corinth up to Rome. So stop for a minute and think about this. The book of Romans we've been through for weeks now, and it is a hugely significant book. The truth of the gospel, justification by faith through grace, is nowhere better explained more carefully and clearly in the book of Romans. Matter of fact, gospel truth rests really in understanding the book of Romans. Didn't it? Think what would happen about our understanding of the gospel if we didn't have the book of Romans. It's hugely significant. And Paul takes his revelation of the gospel and he gives it to a trusted sister to take from Centria or Corinth up to Rome. Now, that is a substantial distance, folks. That's a journey of some difficulty and some danger. But Paul trusts this lovely sister who's already proven herself to be faithful in Christian things with this huge responsibility of delivering the message that contains the truths of the gospel. That's a huge responsibility to give to one person, isn't it really? What does that mean? That means she was a sister that could be trusted to do something really important. Really important. Now, there are no women given um, the opportunity of writing a New Testament book. It's all given to men because order is given, right? Okay. But this woman, while she's not given the revelation, she's given the responsibility of passing it on. What am I saying to you? What I'm saying, brothers, is this that we must 
completely and utterly understand the huge spiritual significance of our sisters. They are to be valued, to be esteemed, to be trusted, because many of them prove themselves to be faithful, spiritual, trustworthy in a way that many others of us brothers don't. And while God has particular roles and responsibilities and opportunities for display of those within the assembly, none of them are inferior and superior. They're all complementary. And Phoebe's a sister that's given a huge spiritual responsibility. Her spiritual responsibility is not to preach, but her spiritual responsibility is to carry the message that God has given to another place. We'll think a little bit about that in a minute as we look at Phoebe's characteristics. Look at verse 3. So a couple of verses given to Phoebe, our sister. Then he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who for, their, for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom I give thanks, but also to the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet ye the church that is in their house. And then he says, Salute my well-beloved Epinetus, which is the firstfruits of Achaia, unto Christ. Priscilla and Aquila. One sister, Priscilla and Aquila, are a married couple. And they appear a number of times in the Acts of the Apostles. And we don't have time to go through it, but very briefly, uh, they, they appear, first of all, in Acts chapter 18. And what's happened is they had been already been in Rome. They were displaced from Rome because one of the Roman emperors kicked all the Christians or the Jews out of, of Rome. And they go down to Corinth and then they're found in Ephesus. And obviously they've moved back to Rome because the emperor Claudius died and a lot of the Jews that were spread abroad went back. So Aquila and Priscilla have been a variety of different places. They've had a kind of ministry that was, uh, I nearly said itinerant, but it was in many places, a few places. And everywhere they went, they served the Lord. Now the other thing that you have to know is, they were, they were of the same um, trade as the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was, uh, if it was a Bible class, I would say, what was Apostle Paul's job before he was a preacher? And even when he was a preacher, he was a tent maker, wasn't he? He was a tent maker. And Aquila and Priscilla are also tent makers. And he finds them when he goes to the synagogue in Corinth. And what happened, again, I don't know much history, but it seems that in the synagogue, not only did men and women sit separately, but it seems that people of certain jobs all used to sit together. So you would get the engineers would all sit together uh, and, and I don't know, the doctors would all sit together and the tradesmen would all sit together. And it, it seems as though Paul and, um, and Aquila and Priscilla kind of met up in the synagogue because they maybe were sitting together when they were, um, when, when they were in the synagogue. That seems to be. And so Paul stayed with them and Paul actually spent some time making tents with them to, 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 to help himself in, in the ministry. And so there was a, a lot in common between Paul and Aquila and Priscilla. And a simple lesson is this, folks, is you just need to go somewhere and find Christians. And before you know where you are, you think you've known them your whole life. Isn't that right? Because the common link we have with our brothers and sisters is not kind of tradesmen. Our link with our brothers and sisters is we're members of the same family. And a lot of these people will be anonymous, but Priscilla and Aquila are not. 
They, I think they appear six. I think they appear six times in the in the New Testament. Four times uh, Aquila comes first, the husband, and no, four times Priscilla comes first, and twice Aquila comes first. Prisca and Priscilla are the same uh, name. Prisca is Paul's name. Priscilla is the diminutive of that that Luke uses. But it just seems that their names are interchangeable. It seems that they're a married couple that are just synonymous with each other. You know, they're just, they're just so much together in the things of the Lord that sometimes it's Aquila and Priscilla, sometimes it's Priscilla and Aquila. And, you know, as a matter of fact, more often it's the woman that's dominant rather than the man. How often does that happen now, folks, eh? Right? But, but it's just that they were, they were indistinguishable. And, and this little expression that we've got here in verse number four, who laid down their own necks for me, is actually a singular. He says, he laid down their own neck for me. In other words, they were just together. They were just always together serving the Lord. And we, I wish we had time to go through the significance of marriage in the Bible and how that marriage is a, a, it's a wonderful relationship that should be a complement for each other. We all have a, a special significance, but we should be so so linked with each other that we're almost indistinguishable from each other. We shouldn't be able to think of one without the other. There's many a preacher. I know, and I know the preacher, but I've never heard a thing about his wife. Don't know who his wife is. Because she's some obscure one that's left away, nowhere not to be thought about. And that shouldn't be. Anyway, we'll keep going. Now we then have a whole list of names of people that are mentioned without any significance at all being associated with them. They're significant but they're not explained. Our Bible and church history is full of people like that. Think about this. Do you know who Shifra and Pua are? Do you know who they are? They're the midwives in Egypt that saved the baby boys. You know, and their names are not heralded. But you know, if without those Shifra and Pua, we would have hardly known that there would have been no preservation of the boys and no Moses and, and all that sort of thing. And they're, anon- they're mentioned anonymously, but they're hugely significant. I was really humbled this, this week. There's a man called George. George is one of our 300 distributors. And he came to see Stephen and I at Saidi. And he, you, you, I've got a picture of him, but he's, he's anonymous in a lot of senses. He had come five hours on a borrowed bike just to get tracts from us. Uh, I could show you the roads and I could show you the bike and all that sort of thing. But George is just, he's got hardly any teeth. And George was telling us, these are things that we, we need. These are significant Christians, folks, significant Christians. And how he makes a living is he makes mats, bed mats. People don't, in a lot of cases, the poor people don't sleep in beds or mattresses. They just have mats that they put down on the floor called fusa. And he makes these mats and he sells them about 200 miles away up in Mizuzu. But because of the pandemic for the last two years, he hasn't sold one mat, not one single mat. And he's struggling to feed his family. But he took his bike five hours, a borrowed bike, five hours to come down to Saidi to pick up two boxes of tracks to take back to spread the gospel in the area that he's in. Now, folks, unless I had met that man, I would never have known about that man or his name. But there are multitudes of other Christians just like George, isn't there? 
Here in Newcastle, in Gateshead, there's Christians we don't know about that are serving the Lord in wonderful ways. So here we're going to read some of the people that are just named anonymously but are hugely significant. Listen to this. Salute my well-beloved Apinatus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labour on us. Salute Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who were also in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Arbune, our helper in Christ, and Stachius, my beloved. Salute Apelles, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus's household. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labour in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, who laboured much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, and mine. Salute Asyncritus, Phlegamon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren which are with him. Salute Philologus and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints which are with him. Salute ye one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. And I hope that when I get to heaven, the people will forgive me for mispronouncing their name on a Sunday morning at Bensham. But there's that 1 to 16. This chapter closes an amazing book. And there's some thoughts in chapter 16 that are simple, but really, really thrillers. One is this. Paul's love and tenderness for the Christians that he knew. His enjoyment of fellowship and appreciation of Christian love just oozes off the page here when you read about the people that he knew and the people that he loved. Paul was no isolated, elevated, um, exalted figure that was distant from the people of God. He was intimately involved with all the people of God and loved them and they loved him. And Paul just oozes out this love and family relationship that he has. He keeps calling people his kinsmen, right? And our sister. Your mother and mine's. Now, I don't think what he means is he was actually a blood relative of these people. I just think he means that the relationship he had with them was even deeper than a blood relationship. His spiritual relationship was even deeper. And I'm trying to be careful here because family relationships, folks, are really very important. I have to say that to you. Would to God that family relationships were preserved more in these days than they are. So I'm not trying to minimise family relationships, but I'm just trying to show you that Christian relationships are in a different kind of realm altogether, aren't they? They really are. And so there's a great sense of his love here. And he uses two words. So that there's commendation and greeting. Then there's some caution in this chapter. A lot of the, the passage that we'll look at next week is about caution. You need to be really, really careful about people that cause division. And then he's got a closing section of wonderful kind of worship as he brings the whole thing to an end. But just let me think about these opening chapters. There's two main thoughts. One is commendation. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister. And he's writing not just about Phoebe and Aquila and Priscilla, but a whole list of people that he wants to introduce or recognise and tell people he's got confidence in them. That's what he's saying. The word commend is really really important because it says I'm not just introducing this person to you 
I'm commending this person to you. I'm recommending them because they've proven themselves to be true and faithful. And I've got confidence when they come to you, they're going to do you some good. And when they come to you, not only am I confident that they're going to do you good, but what I want is something back. I want you to do them good. Because you know, if you've listened to me at all, and probably you haven't, but but one of the things that I like to tell people is that fellowship's a two-way street, isn't it? Fellowship is not just entering into a relationship and saying, okay, give it to me. What can I get? Fellowship is not that. That's, that's what the world likes with relationships, isn't it? People want relationships just for what they can get. Keep it coming this way. Keep it coming to me. What can I get? Christian fellowship is not a one-way street. Christian fellowship is a two-way street. It's where we can be a blessing to others and others can be a blessing to us. And so a local company of Christians like this, it's not just, I sit, I wait, give it to me, what do I get? I'm not getting anything so tough. A, a company of Christians like this comes together to enjoy each other's fellowship, to minister to each other, to get ministry, and to give ministry. Isn't that? We're all in this together. And that, that's, what, that's what Paul's saying here. So he says to you, I commend to you Phoebe, my sister. We're sending this girl to you, and she's got a big job to give. She's passing on this later. Now, folks, there is... An important side of commendation that's really, really important. I'm going to just pause for a minute to talk about it. This idea of giving a letter of commendation is very common in the, the New Testament. It was a common practice that when Christians went to other places, the people that knew them would write them a letter of commendation so that when they went to the Christians, the Christians would receive them. Because in those days it wasn't like emails or, 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 or you know, video calls. You had to send a letter of commendation. You can find examples of that. Now, there's lots of reasons for that. But one of the reasons for that is to preserve the spiritual integrity of the company in which they were going to. There's a war on just now and wars take difficult, different, different tactics. But one of the tactics of the enemy is infiltration, sabotage, isn't that right? You know, special forces that go in amongst the people and, and cause havoc amongst the people. They, they're behind enemy lines and they're right infiltrating and they're doing all sorts of stuff. The Christian church has always been the target for infiltration by the enemy. Always has been. In Acts chapter 8, there was a man called Simon. And Simon, this is Acts chapter 8, before Saul was even converted, he saw that the apostles were, the Holy Ghost was ministering through the apostles, and he says, oh, I would like some of that. And he tried to give, he says, here's some money, I want to buy this, buy this gift. And, and you know what Peter says, your money perish with you, your money perish with you. And then in Acts 9, when um, Saul got converted, he had been to Damascus, he got converted in Damascus, and he was with the Christians in Damascus, and he went back to Jerusalem, and he says, where's the Christians in Jerusalem? I want to find the Christians in Jerusalem. So when he got to the Christians in Jerusalem, the Christians knew all about Saul, because the last time they'd seen him, he was hailing them and putting them in prison, and when he knocks at the door and wants to have fellowship, they think, we're not having this guy. He says he's a Christian, but so what happens is a man called Barnabas Comes, who's known by the Christians, comes alongside the Christians and he says, no, let me tell you about Saul. Ami's letter of commendation, it's not in paper, but it's written in my heart. Ami's letter of commendation, I've seen Saul converted and I've seen him minister. And so 
when he comes in amongst you, you can have confidence that he's true. Folks, we live in a day when it's really easy for folks to say they're Christians. Isn't that right? Loads of people say they're Christians. And we are not strangers to people just arriving here on a Sunday morning and saying we are, we are Christians and expecting just to, to walk in. Well, you know, in Acts 20, when Paul's getting elders together, he says, listen, I want you to be careful. He says, take heed to the flock that I've put you over. He says, because what's going to happen is people are going to come in from the outside and then you're going to have false teachers from the inside. And what's going to happen is they're going to come in amongst you. They're going to infiltrate. And when they infiltrate, they're going to try and destroy the testimony. So you as elders need to be really careful. Pay attention. Make sure that the people that come in are true and honest and trustworthy Christians. So sometimes you might think the elders at Bencham are too strict. But, but it's a responsibility that God has given to elders over a flock to protect them from infiltration. And so when somebody comes as a stranger, they might carry a letter of commendation from their own elders that says these people are true and they've been in fellowship. And you can read the letter and you can say, thank you, we really, really appreciate that. And that's why when you go away on holiday or wherever you go, if you're going to meet with other Christians, you know, ask, ask us to write something for you so that when you can go, you can give it to them and say, look, you, can, you know, I'm here true. I'm here true. And so Paul's writing and he's saying, listen, I'm not just introducing Phoebe, I'm telling you, you can trust her. So sometimes uh, personal recommendation or letters of commendation are really, really important. And then the other thing that's in this chapter is greeting. Greet, salute, greet, salute, greet, salute. They're the same word, uh, maybe the same word in your version. It just means this, draw to yourself. Draw these people to yourself. Embrace them as a Christian. And then right at the end, he says this, salute one another with a holy kiss, but make sure you wear your mask. Now, um, I've been in cultures, Eastern Europe in particular, particular, where the normal greeting for Christians is to kiss each other on the cheek, men as well. Okay? But I don't think he's saying you always need to kiss the, next, the person you meet. I don't think you need to do that. I think what he's saying is that give people the warmest, tenderest greeting and salutation that you can. Don't just be banal. Be warm and loving and really embrace these people. Salute each other with a holy kiss. Let me, let me just say a couple of things. I commend unto you, Phoebe, your sister, which is a servant of the church, which is in Centria, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints. As becometh saints. You see that? Receive her as becometh saints. In other words, there's a specially unique Christian way in which we, we, we are in fellowship, isn't it? It's not just turning up at a bowling club or a golf club and asking to play the game on their course. This is just embracing people. There's a special significance and characteristic in the way Christians love and greet each other, isn't it? It's not just like shaking hands with somebody you know or greeting your neighbours. This is greater what has become a saint. And there's a high expectation that ye assist her in whatever business she have of you, for she hath been a succor of, of many and of myself also. This is saying to these Christians, don't just receive her, but receive her as a, as a sister. Show her hospitality. Show her hospitality. Christian hospitality, folks, is the most wonderful thing on earth. 
I was taken into a, a house that was hardly, uh, hardly even built and sat down with encima and pickled eggs. And it was the evidence of the hospitality that a poor family were showing me. And while the food was completely inedible, the hospitality was indescribable, indescribable, because I was being received as becometh saints. So we don't have time to go through some of the other lists. We, Priscilla and Aquila, you know, they laid down their necks, they were sacrificial, and it says, like, likewise, greet the church which is in their house. Okay? In other words, they had opened... So, so You know that Christians in the first century didn't have gospel halls or churches. You know that. They, they didn't have buildings, so they met in each other's houses. And Priscilla and Aquila said, our house is yours. That's what they were saying. Come and, come and meet in our house. Come and meet. Just think what that would do to your furniture, folks. If everybody turned up in your house, eh? Just think what your best settee would look like if everybody was sitting on top of it or sitting in the arms of the chair and you were getting all worried about your carpet when they hadn't cleaned their feet before they came in. These folks are saying, ah, come, come. I'd much rather have you in my house. What a wonderful couple. What a wonderful couple. I wanted to talk a little bit about the need in the 21st century of Christian hospitality. It's so important, folks, isn't it? It's so important. Because we must stick close to each other. The world wants to divide Christians. Give you your own lives. Here's your job and here's your shopping and here's your, here's your stuff. And, and keep yourself in your own wee compartment. And just come together on a few occasions just to do what you have to do. And the Bible says, no, that's exactly the opposite to what Christian life is. Christian life is not living in isolated units, but it's being together in the things of the Lord. That's just one or two of the things that Stephen and I talked about in the last couple of weeks. I hope they've been a help to you because this chapter, well, I've never studied it before and I've never particularly read it carefully before, has been such a challenge and a blessing to me. Let's pray. Lord, we just are grateful that your word is your word. None of it's insignificant, Lord. It's all been inspired. It's all there for a reason. And sometimes we just are so dull or so careless that we don't catch the significance of what so easily lies on the surface. So, Lord, we thank you for these great Christians that lived with such great hardship and great faithfulness and for your faithfulness to record their names for us and a little bit about their testimony. We give thanks. We pray, Lord, that when we get to heaven, we'll appreciate every single one of them and maybe find out that there's been folks that have been working hard and we've no understanding of them at all so we just commit ourselves to thee pray for thy blessing on the rest of the day we think of the gospel meeting lord we we pray that this current situation and danger in ukraine might turn the hearts of the people to thyself and we just pray that thou would open the hearts and minds of men and women to the wonders of the gospel we ask this in the lord's name amen just one little thing to say folks the last time in the United Kingdom there was any significant spike in spiritual interest and seeking after the gospel was during the Second World War. When war threatened in Europe, people turned to the Lord. Let's pray that while war threatens in Europe now, the people will turn to the Lord and seek the Lord while he may be found. May the Lord bless his word.